Good morning, Springbrook. It's great to see you on this uh, cold winter day. I think we missed the fall. Uh, maybe, maybe a week in there. I'm not sure. The summer and winter, you know. Today we're going to be talking about radical Islam. Uh, this is a change that I made in the original schedule that we had because it's so important that we understand this and understanding our world and understanding our Muslim friends. Well, we've seen ISIS all over the news for several years. They are evil, evil personified. Some of the worst terrorism in history, just all the beheadings and the ethnic cleansing going on in northern Iraq, just killing people over and over and over again and beheading people. And it goes on and on, and it just makes you sick. ISIS came into Mosul, and they took that over. And, of course, the Iraqi army has been trying to get that back, and they did just recently with the help of the U.S. Army. This is in the early days of Mosul, and this is now. Just total devastation. This is John Hawbaker, and he is Lori's nephew on her side of the family, and uh, he played a critical role in the winning of Mosul. Uh, he had 600 men over him, or under him, that is, in terms of being a lieutenant colonel. And he would meet every day with the guy on the right who was second in command to the Iraqi Federal Police, which played a critical role in Mosul. So he was the one of the main aides talking to them, giving them you know, ideas and strategy and, and things of that nature. In fact, I called John last night just to catch up with him and, and uh, see what his experience is like. He's back in the States now. <laughs> it is so complicated, right? The Middle East is complicated. I mean, it goes back so far to the time of Abraham, the conflict that they are experiencing there. And he told me some things that really... You know, concern me. And uh, isn't it great that God puts His people in high places, like Daniel, right? Yeah, praise the Lord for that. And John is a strong Christ uh, follower. And of course, there's been all kinds of persecution of Christians by ISIS. The sign on the left there is the letter Noon. It's called Noon. But it stands for uh, Nazarite. It's a derogatory term about Christianity. And as you probably saw in the news, uh, ISIS would move in. And if they found out that you were Christians, they would paint this symbol. And then you had three options. You could move. Uh, you could pay a tax. Or you could be killed. And that was the ultimatum. Now, we'll be praying for our persecuted Christians next Sunday 
bringing you up to speed in that way. We're in the middle of our God Quest series. And these are the topics that we cover. I was talking to one guy. He said that he was on a long trip, so he listened to all of them. <laughs> it really is kind of a unique series because it's about how we defend our faith. And the whole idea of we as a family doing this together is my desire, the elders' desire, to equip you in how to be able to share your faith. First Peter 3.15 has been the verse that we've looked at. and we're, we're to be ready to make a defense. A defense for the Gospel. So that we can tell it to other people and we can, of course, now understand where other people are coming like, like the Muslims. So, let's talk about radical Islam. Now, I want to make thing, one thing very, very clear as we start out this time together. Uh, how many know Muslims? They work with them or friends of them? Or, okay, good. Excellent. The majority, by far the majority of Muslims in the United States don't believe that they should kill you if you don't become a Christ follower, okay? It's kind of like when we use the word Christian. Okay, Christian. Well, that's pretty broad, isn't it? Oh, I live in America. I'm a Christian. The well, same thing with Muslims. I mean, they might just do the prayers during the day. They kind of pick and choose like his Christ followers sometimes do. A thing that fits with us. So again, that's very important to know the majority of people, vast majority, don't believe that they should kill us because we're, we're Christ followers. But here's the problem. Their theology, their beliefs as laid out in the Koran, their holy book, teaches that they should go out and destroy and kill people who do not want to convert. Islam. Now, that's what the book says. So many people have talked about that and what's happening in the world. But the most important thing to remember first is, when I ever talk about this, again, I don't know, let me say 10 to 15% of Islam is radicalized in this way. And so you'll probably never talk to a Muslim who feels that way. So when you interact with them and you hear what they're thinking about their faith. I mean, most of the Muslims have never heard a presentation like this. And they wouldn't be happy, but it's right from their history and their heritage. So radical Islam. Let's talk about the Prophet Muhammad, the founder of Islam. He was born in Mecca, current day Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia in 570 A.D. Now, that was a polytheistic culture. Really, when you look at most of the religions, uh, they're polytheistic. They have a lot of different gods that you can pray to for different reasons. And Muhammad lived in a culture where there were 360 lunar gods, all different gods for different purposes. And he was a merchant. So he would be constantly talking to Jews and to Christ followers and hearing their story is very familiar with the Old Testament. It's interesting that Christianity, Islam, and Judaism all claim Abraham 
to be the father of their faith. Now, we understand with Judaism and Christianity because we believe in the Old Testament as well, as the Jews do, but, you know, why are they doing the same thing? Well, it's because he took a lot of the Old Testament and put that history into the Quran, as well as he said some nice things about Jesus Christ. That's what a cult always does. And, again, you can qualify a cult anything that doesn't teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, if there, again, there's other definitions as well. But the point is, is that uh, they take Jesus Christ and the truth of who he is, and they distort it. So, he was a merchant. So he would talk with all these different people. And when he was 40 years old, he received the first revelation of the Quran. So he was in a cave, and uh, Allah spoke to him. And, and Allah, in fact, was uh, he chose his own father's God to be the one and only God. He was one of the 360, so I'll go with my dad's God. Let's, let's go with Allah. We'll make him the only God. And then he did have these revelations throughout his life that eventually became the Quran, their holy book. And if you study the history, beliefs, and theology of Islam, a lot of it was taken from Christianity. When you look at the whole idea of the Abrahamic covenants, the covenants God made with Israel, well, they're very important in the Muslim faith. Why? Well, because he borrowed a lot of stuff. And uh, then he took it in a different direction. The first Muslim community was in Medina, in A.D. 631, that's the 7th century, and Muhammad died one year later. Islam broke into two groups, the Sunnis, who are out of Saudi Arabia, and the Shias, or Shiites, which are out of Iran. So you have these two different groups, and, and they... They did not agree about who should be a successor to Muhammad. And that's why they went two different ways. And they've hated each other ever since. And we see the, the manifestation of that hatred as we have looked at the news ever since 9-11. Now, I want to give you an overview. The five pillars of Islam. Now, I have put this in your inserts. I try to get as many notes in there as possible so that you could study it and memorize it. And you have that knowledge. And that, that's the way we need to approach Scripture or important information like this is we just don't listen to it. We learn it, right? Just that you're learning for a class. You're going to study and you're going to really try to assimilate that information. Well, that's what we should do as Christ followers, especially as we're reaching other people for Christ. So the five pillars, well known in Islam. First of all, to recite the Shada. What's the Shada? There is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his messenger. Yeah, he just kind of borrows... <laughs> From Christianity there and Judaism. 
The next thing is they need to do is they need to pray. In fact, they pray five times a day. Early morning, late afternoon, late afternoon, sunset, one hour after sunset. In fact, I was talking with an individual that their business, they actually allow them a time for those prayer times. Anybody have that experience in their business where that time is? Okay. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Laura. <laughs> uh, staff. So, prayer is very important to them. And obviously, I mean, over in Muslim areas, I mean, they just drop to the ground wherever they are, on the street, in their business, in the market. They drop to the ground and they pray. And they typically would use water or sand as part of this prayer time. The third thing, the third pillar is to fast. To fast. When does this happen? Well, Muslims refrain from food during the daylight hours during the lunar month of Ramadan. This month is to be given over to meditation and reflection, and it ends with a joyous celebration. So you've heard about Ramadan? Uh, let's see, next year it's going to be May 15th to June 15th. And this is the holy month when they visit Mecca. We'll talk about that in a moment. But they also fast during this month. Very, very holy uh, month for them. The next thing they do, the next pillar is to give alms. Zakat, there are different names for each of these uh, points. Muslims are required to give one-fortieth of their income, 2.5%, to the poor and the needy. It's interesting. The average American gives 2% of their income to charity. And that's exactly what's happening here. The last one is to make the pilgrimage to Mecca. Now, here is a picture of the Kaaba. This is kind of the focal point in Mecca. There's a mosque in there. And, but one of the most important things is that they have a black stone which is on one corner of this box. And they believe that the black stone was a meteorite that Adam got a hold of. I'm not sure how he got a hold of it. But then they passed it down through the generation. And so Abraham, Abraham had this as well. So this thing has been around uh, for centuries, millennia. And so it's critical in terms of the Abrahamic covenants, Abraham's story, that they had this. And this is like the most holiest piece that they had that they come to worship. And so what they'll do is, They'll walk around it, I think, like seven times one particular day in Ramadan. Uh, I think just recently, I mean, there's like 17 million people that come to Mecca every year during this particular holy month. Imagine that. Because the Quran says you should go annually. Of course, everybody can't make it annually. They might live very far away. Uh, so they come from far away, though. At least one time in life is the thought to come and acknowledge Allah. 
Now, we've talked about the history of Islam. Now we're going to talk about the hatred of radical Islam. And you look at different leaders, uh, Adi Min, Ayatollah uh, Khomeini, uh, different rulers of Muslim nations that have made it very clear that the goal of Islam is to take over the world. And if nobody wants, if somebody doesn't want to get bored, you know, they're going to be killed. So they have this hatred that, again, is encouraged by the Quran. This is really important for us to understand. Islam is a political ideology. The system lays detailed rules for society and life of every person. It dictates every aspect of life. It's not compatible with freedom and democracy. So, we look in Europe, uh, and we look at the Islamification of Europe in terms of so many people moving into Europe, especially France and Germany. And the thing is that usually if you move to another country, you're assimilated into the system, and you obey their laws, and you still have your own uh, identity. Uh, but again, you submit to the authorities. Well, the challenge with these radicals is they'll build a Muslim community, but they won't accept the values and laws of that particular area. They'll go to their Shiite law. Now, one thing, ladies, <laughs> you need to know. When you talk about the freedom for women, Jesus Christ was one of the biggest change agents for that because women were treated like a property in that day and he raised the level of women up where the political ideology says women have to wear a certain type of dress. Women can't drive. I saw that recently on the news where in a certain area uh, women wanted to drive. It's a very, very restrictive ideology. And it's not like, okay, well, let's put uh, you know, our ideology together with another one and compromise. No, it's their ideology. And that's the way they want to live. And they don't want to assimilate if they're uh, in that radical camp. So that's very important to understand. Because that means everything changes. We're going to make it our way. Now, jihad, which you've heard before, many think it's holy war, but actually it's the word struggle. The word struggle, the idea of uh, struggling with submitting to Allah as well as struggling in regards to bringing people into the Muslim community and the struggle they have when people don't want to do that. That's jihad. Martyrdom is also very, very uh, much a part of Islam. In fact, they say it's a cornerstone of Islam, all these suicide bombers that we see. Uh, said by Sheikh Nam Osem, we believe in the culture of martyrdom. Martyrdom is a noble, great, holy, and honorable thing. He goes on to reiterate that when a suicide bomber ends his or her life in a wonderful way, which is accepted by Allah, in the most honorable culture 
uh, honorable culture both in this life and the next. All right. That's what they teach. That the thing you can do to really please Allah is to be a, a, a martyr. Now, that's true of Christianity as well. But again, <laughs> we're the ones who are the martyrs, right? Uh, and we die because other people hate us. Well, in this situation, it's different. They say, okay, you're the martyr, but we, we want, what, what Allah wants you to do is to strap a suicide vest and walk into a market or some public area. Now, that is just terrible, isn't it? And that shows how drastic the difference is between Islam and Christianity. We, we follow a God who is loving. And Allah is not loving in any way. And God never told us to go out and kill people, even though, like during the Crusades, <laughs> I made some really big mistakes back then. In the colonial times, that also is another thing that Muslims think about in terms of how they have been treated uh, throughout the years. So they're actually encouraging people to go out and kill other people. Now, there's something wrong with that. There's something that does not ring true with the sense of justice that God has put in our heart. Here's a picture of Muhammad, or what they thought he looked like. Uh, yeah, he was an evil man. A very evil man. He was a murderer. He went around slaughtering thousands of people in order to establish his religion. He was a war lord. Yeah, so... Okay, so he's the founder of the religion. So we're told to emulate Jesus Christ, right? For the power of the Spirit, be like Jesus. And they're saying, be like Muhammad. Now again, a lot of Muslims don't even know the history of who Muhammad is. Uh, so the point is, again, that this is the truth. And we have to face it and be aware of it. Because there's this radical arm of Islam that is growing uh, to touch our world in a lot of different ways. So the idea of murdering other people if they don't accept the offer to become a Muslim, Muhammad said himself, Who relinquishes his faith, kill him. I have been ordered by Allah to fight with people till they testify there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his messenger, attested by numerous Islamic scholars. So it's in the Quran several times. And so it's talking about killing infidels and things like that. And so you would think that the common Muslim would understand that. But again, it's taught in different ways. And there's some scholars, of course, who would take this verse in a totally different way in order to eradicate it but, uh, or make a different understanding of it. But it's true. That's what their faith is about. One of Muhammad's popular claims is that God commanded him to fight people until they became Muslims. All Muslim scholars, without exception, 
agree on that. That's, that's what Muhammad says. Fight people, kill people in order that the Muslim community may grow. Now that's twisted. You see, whenever you look at major religions of the world like Islam, uh, Satan's behind them, right? Yeah, because he doesn't want people to experience the gospel. He doesn't want them to know what Jesus Christ has done for them. Of course not. He creates his own little religion. I'm sure Satan was there in that cave guiding Muhammad along. Because this is all from Satan. He's the prince of this world and he wants to destroy everyone. And so he's put a nice little religion here. But basically, that's the foundation of it. Let's think about Europe and Islam. We talked about that a moment ago. There are more Muslims than there are in Lebanon in Europe. Now, many times we think that the focus of the Muslim population is in the Middle East, when really it's in Asia. That's where the majority of the population is. By the year 2040, 80% of France will be Muslim. Wow. And if you follow the news and read about this, you understand in regards to the changes that are going on. England, there will be soon more mosques than churches. And I was talking with another individual, and he said that he had a, a friend that moved to the States from England. And the friend said, I'll no, never go back there. It's totally different because of the Muslims. Now, again, not a personal attack on Muslims, but it's the idea that they come in with, okay, we're going to live life this way. And it really, again, has transformed Europe in a not very positive way. There'll be soon more mosques and churches and you know, friends coming our way. Uh, you're not sure where Islam plays in the end times in the theology, but they're going to be part of it. They're on the move, and there's different suggestions of who they might be seen in biblical prophecy. But friends, here's here's the bottom line: as Christianity wanes. In the United States, what's going to happen? Something's going to fill the vacuum. And radical Muslims would be more than glad uh, to do that for us. I think Detroit is the largest area of Muslims in uh, the United States. It's it's just things to be open to, understand, pray about. And, of course, the main thing is to love Muslims to Jesus. The third thing is the hopes of Islam. Islam hopes to rule the world. There's something called the caliphate. And this is when Muslims should abolish national boundaries within the Islamic world and return to a single Islamic state known as a caliphate that would stretch from Indonesia to Morocco and contain more than 1.5 billion people. So again, their idea is to 
take away national boundaries and make it all Islam. And, of course, if you go to the next level, they really want to do that with the world when we're talking about uh, radicals in this particular area. I told a Khomeini, let's remember him, the governments of the world should know that Islam cannot be defeated. Islam will be victorious in all the countries of the world. And Islam and the teaching of the Quran will prevail all over the world. Where did he get that from? He got it from the Quran. He got that information from Allah. And of course, he had a very, very brutal regime. Now, another concerning thing is the future leaders of Islam. Muslim college students in France, this was a survey, a third of the college students said their loyalty was to Islam. Uh, it was greater than France. Now, we as Christians are, are taught to submit to the government, right? Unless it's something sinful that they're asking us to do. But what's happening here is, is these children, now college students, are taught that Islam should be the religion of the land. And forget France, forget their laws. Uh, again, Islam is the predominant thing. A third do not object to suicide attacks. Now think about that. A third of Muslim French students do not object to suicide attacks. Now what do we see growing here? Well, we... We see the idea of radical Islam. I mean, the way Islam was really laid out, not how it is today in many places, but you see them believing this, saying, yeah, yeah, those are, it's good to wear a suicide vest and walk into the middle of that. You know how they motivate the men to do that? They say you're going to have 50, excuse me, 72 virgin maidens. Sex. They went for the most tempting thing, right? Uh, and they must be awful disappointed when they don't get there. But it's interesting. There's no motivation for women to do it. In fact, some scholars say, well, uh, it's the hope that you'll be reunited with your husband. Well, I don't know if all of them would like that, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and you see women also a part of these attacks. And one-third of these college students are in favor of a worldwide calendar. They think that's a great idea in the Middle East uh, just to set up a whole region that's Islam. And you see, this is so important for us to understand if we're going to understand the news that we listen to. And as we see the countries and, again, what's happening here, and to realize, okay, that's radical Islam... You know, having an impact there. Winston Churchill said he called Islam the most retrograde force in the world. And why? He compared Mein Kampf, Hitler's, to the Quran. Now think about that for a second. Winston Churchill had the deal with one of the most evil dictators that lived, and, and that was Hitler. And he knew what Hitler wanted to do. He wanted to do ethnic cleansing. He wanted to rule the world. 
And with Winston Churchill's understanding and him reading the Quran, he said, hey, it's the same group. These radicals, they want ethnic cleansing. They want total authority over the earth. I think it's a very powerful statement uh, from Winston Churchill. What are the hopes of Islam? Islam hopes to rule the world, as we talked about. Islam hopes to return their Messiah. Hopes to return their Messiah. And again, uh, there's different Messiahs for the Sunnis and the Shiites, but it's a Messiah, right? Now, I wonder where he got the idea for a Messiah. <laughs> all right? It's all, all put together by Satan. This is an excellent book if you want to know more. This is a very good treatment of what we've talked about today. Ern Lutzer, pastor, I believe, down at Moody Church in Chicago, and the professor of Moody Bible Institute. And uh, this is the best treatment, you know, in, in a smaller book. So I would really say, hey, order from Amazon on your Kindle, or you can buy the paperback, because these things are very important to be aware of. So the question is, how do we show Jesus to Muslims? Well, the first thing you don't want to do is send this podcast to your Muslim friend. <laughs> That's not going to work. Okay. Now, we need to be aware of the big picture, of course. But again, they grew up as Muslim people. They are lost people just as Buddhists are lost and so many people in America who think they're Christians are lost. You know, they're not worse than other people. It's just the fact that they happen to grow up in that uh, tradition. And so you have to be careful in what you say. And as we talked about before, Muslims have the baggage of the Crusades. They have the baggage of the colonial era when they were persecuted. But the thing that, the thing that uh, angers them the most is back in 1967 when the Jews took back Jerusalem. It's all about land, the people in the Middle East. And of course, you can see what kind of chaos that is created over in Israel. So it's good to understand from their perspective. But when witnessing to a person who was a Muslim, going to them, reaching them, uh, for Christ. The most important thing you can do is to tell your own story. Tell your God story. Because you see, the last time their God talked was back in the 7th century, and they haven't heard from him since. And, and Muslim, again, is not like Christianity. It's not like Allah loves you and He sacrificed for you and those type of things. Not at all. Not at all. So they, they don't even have the concept of what a personal relationship with Allah or any God is. So if you can just share, like we encourage you, you know, your story, what were you like before you were Christ's follower, how Jesus Christ transformed your life, and how your life has been changed. They can't argue with that. And, and, and the most important thing is prayer. Muslims are very, very hard. To reach. Very hard. Missionaries have 
work years, decades, and maybe only have a few converts. Uh, yeah. So, so we need to pray that the Holy Spirit, and this will really be the prayer for anybody who is seeking to reach a, uh, a relative for Christ, a friend. The Holy Spirit has to open the door of that person's life. They need to again be able to have the Holy Spirit take off the blinders and finally see the Gospel for what it really is. And I know many have been praying for family and friends, and maybe you've been praying 30, 40 years. Oh yeah, that's very common. Keep on praying, because you don't know when the Holy Spirit will open their eyes. That's a part of going to people with the good news of Jesus Christ. It gets frustrating because you might tell them the good news, and they just don't respond to it. But the whole point is, is that you've given witness to Jesus Christ. The great thing about Trunk or Treat is, is that people come into our building and have a positive experience. We're not shoving the gospel down their throats, right? We are, we are inviting them back for a parenting series. Well, that's practical, right? And that's what Christianity is. It, it deals with every area of life. It's the book, the manual on how to live life. So, if you have Muslim friends, I would encourage you just to take more time with them, get to know them, and see where the Holy Spirit leads. And Again, get this book if you want to learn more about some of the things that we've talked about today. Again, the important thing to realize, the majority of Muslims, far vast majority of Muslims, don't think that they have to kill you so you can believe. But again, they don't know their own Koran, and they don't know what the radical uh, part of Islam is doing. Well, our ushers come forward this time and let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, this is very sobering information. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Lord, we are in a battle. A battle with Satan. And Satan is using Islam to take many people down the wrong track to get them away from the good news of the gospel. And I pray that... Uh, you would work in our hearts and help us just to have more compassion for Muslims. Help us to better understand where they're coming from, their particular view of things. And pray that we'd see them come to Jesus in their own lives. In Christ's name, amen.